Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, the podcast. This is Series 3, Episode number 11 for Saturday, April the 8th, uh, right before Easter Sunday, 2023. A blessed Easter and a Zeeson Pesach to all who are observing. JJ Sefton here, along with my good friend, co-blogger and CBD. And before we start things, I just want to um, give a shout out and a big thank you to all of those uh, out there who have hit our tip jar. It is uh, the kindness and the donations that you show us that really lets us uh, do this and keep on keeping on. So thank you very much for that. And we really appreciate it. Uh, CBD, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm, I'm doing very well. I'd like to echo your sentiment. I would not be able to drink the beer I drink had it not been for the generosity. No, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, <laughs> the um, it, it, it every time I see people generously donating to Cut Jib Newsletter, I am shocked at the generosity and the interest and the focus on what is actually going on in the United States. Because if things were doing well, we would not be doing well. But I think it's a, a testament to the perilousness of our times that people are interested in what is going on. And I, I guess that's a that's both good and bad. Anyway, thank you all very, very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here, here. To start things off, obviously, the huge, gigantic story is the indictment of Donald Trump. But before we get into that, there is actually an equally big story, which I think is uh, in, is encouraging. And, and it's, I think, something that our side of the of the mythical aisle, or at least our side of the spectrum, should take note of and to use con gusto if they if they have the uh, the cojones to do so. Uh, in Tennessee, in the wake of the transsexual terror attack, of course, the left's reaction is to blame to to, to blame the victims and to uh, and to try to to uh, make the the transsexual terrorist a, a martyr. But in doing so, they've gone crazy as usual with gun control, and in and in that light. Uh, a bunch of pro of, of really of, of thugs and protesters were uh, invaded the Tennessee State House and uh, and were uh, ejected. And uh, among the the people that were aiding and abetting the the thugs were a bunch of Tennessee Democrat legislators. And what happened was the Tennessee State Legislature voted to uh, sent not only censure them but to strip them of of their seats and and boot them out of the legislature, which of course caused all sorts of heads to explode. And of course, I'm just I'm cheering that on. So every time they do this kind of thing, this is what the reaction should be. I mean, to hell with what you think is going to happen. They're, they're going to go after us anyway. So you might as well, you know, stand up to tyranny. And, and this was the absolute right thing to do. Thank goodness. So more I, please. I agree completely. And, and the usual suspects in the White House are praising them. Apparently, well, here, I'll read you something. Earlier today, I spoke to representatives Jones, Pearson and Johnson to thank them for their leadership and courage in the face of a blatant disregard of our nation's democratic values. Our country needs <laughs> to take action on gun violence, and to do that, we need more voices like theirs speaking out. Joe Biden, the senile drooling fool, comes out in opposition to a thoroughly legal action taken by the Tennessee legislature. They acted appropriately in their estimation. Whether you like it or not, it's not undemocratic. In fact, it is purely democratic. They took a vote and these three people, well, two of them were ousted and the third representative, Gloria Johnson, was censured. But it, I think it's thoroughly reasonable. So what, what makes my head explode, and, and, and this is really the I, I guess it's sort of the the sine qua non of leftism and Democrats is that everything that they accuse us of doing, they are the ones that are actually perpetrating and more. 
Case in point being January 6th, where they claim it was an insurrection, which it was absolutely not. Meanwhile, these people are actually guilty of aiding and abetting invaders and violent thugs and terrorists and causing what is, in fact, what would have been an insurrection or could have escalated into actual insurrection. And and they get booted and we're the ones that get accused of being anti-democratic. It's just, you know, it's if, if it wasn't so pathetic and disgusting, it would be laughable. But but anyway, bravo to the Tennessee state legislature for doing the absolute 100 percent right thing. And as I said, this should be an example for our side of the action and, and the things that need to be done when they need to be done and to do it as vigorously and as, as swiftly as possible, regardless of what you think the reaction is going to be on the other side. So and the reaction, uh, and the reaction on the other side is, is fantastically stupid and um, no less a pundit than uh, Barack Obama said huh. in response to this, quote, this nation was built on peaceful protest. <laughs> Unquote. You know, Barack, you're an ass. You're a stupid ignorant, jingoistic fool. This nation was built on violence. We took it. We took it from the British Empire. We fought for it. We died for it. We used guns to take control of our destiny. And for you to say that this nation was built on peaceful protest is, first of all, as I said, jingoistic. It's simply a a, a talking point. But second of all, it, it shows a breathtaking ignorance of the realities of American exceptionalism and the reality of the creation of our republic. But that I will no, I will. I'll tweak your comments a little bit. I would say that not not that the nation was was built well, you know, built on violence or was it was built on, you know, on a reaction to violence. We rebelled against British tyranny. Uh, That is what happened. Uh, so the the other thing is the violence that uh, that he talks about is, is always literally 100 percent of the time from their side of the aisle. Uh, everything from the causes of the Civil War for, for slavery. Uh, if you go back, as our friend Michael Walsh would say, to Aaron Burr uh, slaying one of our founders and uh, parlaying with the Spanish to literally overthrow part of the country or to take part of the country in its in its early days, all the way through to anarchists who have assassinated presidents like Garfield and McKinley uh, and so on and so forth, and, and political violence uh, as perpetrated by the weathermen and the Black Panthers, and so on, and so on, and so on. All of these things were done by their side. They're the ones that are engaging in violence all of the time in order to um, overthrow the, the status quo, not to preserve our quote-unquote precious democracy. So for him to take this 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 stand is just, it's it's just disgusting in the extreme. And But, but this is what they do. So what are you going to do about it? Anyway, let's move on. So we yes. have, we have, that was supposed to be a short segment, but of course we have both got exercised and uh, we're going <laughs> to chapter for years. Anyway, so what's up next? What's next is, as, as I uh, teased, is, is of course the huge story was the indictment of uh, former President Donald Trump on a totally ridiculous charge of uh, violating federal election laws in the uh, dealing with the, the payment, the payoff to to this uh, Stormy Daniels character, which. It's such just a naked use of of the of our legal system and a bastardization of our legal system purely for for political persecution of one's enemies. And this is absolutely horrible. So what I've been saying and what many people have been saying is this. There's no there's no case here, which in the real world, there is no case. Alvin Bragg's case is a complete is is an absolute farce. It's just completely manufactured out of whole cloth. The problem is the legal system has been so corrupted that. 
for Alvin Bragg or whoever to find a jury in New York City and to find judges in New York City. And of course, him being the prosecutor to convict Donald Trump, if it even gets to trial, there's a good chance that that'll happen. They'll say that it'll, it might get thrown out of out of court. But the problem is, as I said, it's the entire system is so corrupt that nobody cares about due process. Nobody cares about if people cared about due process in the first place, regardless of your political persuasion and how how strident you are in that whatever Alvin Bragg is or is not, he never would have brought these charges because he would have said to himself, look, I'm a Democrat through and through. I'm a leftist through and through. But to do this is against my principles. But of course, he has no principles. The only thing he has fealty to is political expediency to advance his cause. So whether or not this goes to trial, there are some pundits like Dershowitz who says he'll get convicted, but then he'll get overturned. Meanwhile, you have this much more serious case that could come uh, to Trump uh, in Washington, D.C. about relating to the his supposed egging on of the January 6th, as I said, insurrection, which never was an insurrection. And in D.C., it's it's even more of a rigged system than it is perhaps even in New York. So and he faces, uh, you know, perhaps life behind bars or worse. We're getting to a point where I'd say it's intolerable, but we're tolerating it. So we're at a tipping point. I think this country has gone over the edge right now. I, I think we're in some sort of twilight zone that we just don't know what's coming and what's next. Well, you mentioned Dershowitz warning that there's no chance that Trump gets acquitted in New York City. And I happen uh, I, I disagree in part, I think there is a chance that he gets a hung jury, but the idea that he can get a fair trial before a New York City judge is insanity. It was rigged carefully, just as you say the January 6th protesters, it was rigged. You know, having all of those trials in the District of Columbia is, I don't know <laughs> that there have been any trials in which any of the defendants have been acquitted. It is, I mean, they've got to be running 99% conviction rates because they, you know, they've got captive juries, they've got captive judges, they know exactly what they're doing. But anyway, um, I think what's going on with Trump is terrifying. Sefton teased an interesting article about the what is uh, called the peaceful transfer of power written by William Otis, who was uh, a press, professor of law at Georgetown University. Um, and he was a federal prosecutor and and I think he worked in, yeah, actually he did work in the uh, Bush White House. And he talked about the indictment of Trump by Alvin Bragg, not as a, a mess of a legal theory, which it is, of course, but he talks about how it has destroyed our faith in the, in the concept of a peaceful transfer of power because the winning party is now using their power to put the losing party in jail. And that is the issue of peaceful transfer of power. It no longer exists. And that is what truly terrifies me about the America that is coming. I agree. My caveat to that is that, you know, some people say, well, you know, wait till we get in power. Look what we're going to do. And the problem is if if, you know, there isn't a fair election uh, to be had coming after in the wake of 2020 and even 2022, if there is a fair election and say Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or, or whoever it is or in any state or local uh, jurisdiction ever is elected, would they ever even use these tactics against political rivals? And I would say no. Um, you can argue, say, well, look what happened in Tennessee. They went after these guys. And so but that was a different situation. They were completely within their rights because the the knuckleheads in Tennessee tr literally were fomenting violence inside the chambers. So that was totally legitimate. And that was real violence, as I said. But the GOP has this history of once they're in power, they never 
at, you know, at best, they just sort of uh, they just keep the seat warm for Democrats until they win again. The case in point was Trump's first two terms in office, uh, first two years in office when they had super majorities in the House and in the Senate. And the whole issue was the, re- the repeal of Obamacare just by itself. For years and years, for, for the years leading up to that, the, the, you know, they would introduce these ridiculous one-page bills saying Obamacare is hereby repealed. And it was all kabuki theater because it was always, you know, if it, even if it passed, Obama just vetoed it and it never went anywhere. So now they had the chance to veto Obamacare, I mean, to get rid of it. And what happened? Yet John McCain turning his thumb down. And that was that was the end of it. So circling back here in my long-winded way of getting to the point is that the Republicans would never, I don't think in their wildest dreams would ever think of using this kind of naked, hideous political weaponry to against the Democratic Party. And even if they wanted to do that, look at the bureaucracy that's against them. You have the DOJ, the FBI, and every other agency down to like, you know, the, uh, the Department of Redundancy Department, which is perhaps 99, 100% leftists that will uh, be insubordinate and will not go along with this. So you know, that, it's that's really an excellent point. And, and I'm going to go a little bit far afield on this, but but that speaks to the way the Democrats run their election campaigning and their vote getting. They are willing to expand their range into, let's say, uh, suburban Republican women who are going to vote re- reliably Republican, except if they are exercised about abortion. For instance, I'm using this as an example. So, and the Democrats are perfectly content to get suburban women upset about abortion, so they vote Democrat. The Republicans would never do that. They would never expand their range to go after voters who would who are not traditional Republican voters. And that's one of the successes of Donald Trump is that he was willing to expand his range and go after people who are apathetic, who felt disenfranchised by the two-party system. And, you know, you can, you can list reasons on and on and on and on. But he did it successfully. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the Republican hierarchy is so disgusted by him. You know, these people aren't true Republicans. How dare he bring them into the fold? Well, then it, it begs the question, what is, what is a quote-unquote true Republican? And if it's like, if the answer is Mitch McConnell or Mitt Romney, or uh, you know Liz Cheney, then you know uh, then all bets are off. Then forget it. We this is we we have been pulling what's what's left of my hair out for the last however many years, screaming at these people to do something to stop what's going on. And the, the always the answer was, well, we're only one fifth of two thirds of eight uh, percent of uh, one fifth of the government, and we can't do anything until we have all three houses. And like I said, when they had the whole thing, the whole enchilada from 2017 until 2019. They did nothing. And so, you know, say what you will about Donald Trump and, and circling back here to what, what you said, CBD, about his w- willingness to go after these groups that were not traditional Republican voters. He actually, if I remember correctly, campaigned in 2016 and maybe even in 2020, campaigned in California, where yeah. you literally you have no shot in hell. But his big thing was, look, if you and especially it's to black voters and, and Latino voters and minorities, look. This is what the Democrats have done for you. Nothing and made your life worse. If you vote for me, what have you got to lose? And, you know, yet people whoever going crazy. How could he do that? How could he? And he actually got a pretty significant portion, obviously not enough in 2020, let's say, to put him over the top for sure. Well, that was a whole whole other thing. But but he definitely made inroads into those communities. And of course, his policies, the first two years of his presidency, the greatest economic boom since both Reagan and the roaring 20s combined, 
elevated blacks and minorities out of the unemployed, out of the poverty rolls and into jobs and into real careers for the first time ever. I mean, that's the tale of the tape. And the, the fact that the GOP does not forget what you think about Donald Trump as a person, forget about his foibles, forget about his failings even as president, which which are, you know, unfortunately really big Achilles heels. His successes were just unbelievable. So it speaks volumes right there. And it's why so many people, not just on the left, but on the so-called right, want to crush him and want to make sure that nobody like him ever runs again. But it's not just the Republicans. It's the conservative movement in the United States that is that is so obsessed by the purity of thought in, in their supporters and in their spokesmen that they reject the idea that they can expand their range into people like, well, Naomi Wolf, who's a hardcore leftist. She's probably a communist, but she understands free speech and she's willing to fight for free speech. But her, her kind of support is rejected by mainstream conservative thought. And quite recently, Riley Gaines, the swimmer who is yes. going after transgenders in the in the pool and she's going after them, hammer and tongs. She's doing a great job. She was just assaulted during a, a speech at San Francisco State University because of this. She was in, in fact, she was kidnapped, really, because yeah. she she is so, so good at inflaming the left and inflaming the people who want transgenderism to be the law of the land. And yet there are people on the right who are critical of her for reasons that I simply do not understand, that she was insufficiently pure when she was a 20 year old leftist on a, uh, you know, on a college campus. So I don't really care. Riley Gaines is a hero to me. And what she's doing is fantastic. And we need more people like Riley Gaines on our side. The fact that she's a leftist, I don't care. She's an enlightened leftist who sees the writing on the wall. She understands the dangers and she's willing to fight for it. And she's on our side right now. So we should support her. Absolutely. I don't, I don't even think she's a leftist per se. Maybe, I mean, whatever. I mean, she, I think she's more liberal. Like, look, I consider myself a liberal, but that's another story. But, you know, when you talk about abortion and you talk about, you know, the Democrats going after the, the Republican women voters and scaring them about, uh, you know, taking away your your, your right to, uh, to for infanticide, whatever you feel about abortion, uh, you know, whether it's a 100 percent ban or, or just, you know, whatever the compromises that you, you feel should be made. The problem is, is the messaging of the Republican Party. They will not touch this issue. And I don't mean saying, you know, no abortion under any circumstances whatsoever. It should be, look, this is the situation. Uh, let's come to a, some sort of agreement that at least at a certain point in a pregnancy, it is a fully formed human being. You cannot legally kill this child in cases of rape and incest and, and uh, the life of the mother, which a lot of these things I think are not as common as people think they are. Let's let's compromise. The problem is the message should be, look, this is what we're willing to do and what we really should be willing to do. But every time even we introduce a bill that says even during the course of an abortion, if the baby is born alive, the Democrats want to kill the baby. Is this something that you can possibly even in your in the right mind support or at least after a certain point? Shouldn't we have a, a ban on it? Yes. Rape. Yes. Incest. Less, you know, contraception is legal and the whole that's a whole straw man argument in and of itself. But we're not making these arguments and we're just sort of letting the, the Democrats control the ball on this because, you know, we were afraid of the social issues, of the cultural issues, of the culture war. And yes, I understand people who are of faith, who, who really believe that. You know, and I do believe life begins at uh, conception, but at the same token, within a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is, I mean, let's be real about this. And yes, if a woman is raped, 
you know, you really should, God forbid, the, the, the child should be born, whatever you, your concept is of life in utero, however the, the conception was made. But we're not going after these things. And this is, you know, we're letting them control the language. We're letting them control the issue. And we're sort of being kind of stuck in our ways on this. And it's killing us, I think, uh, politically speaking. So, you know, it's it's the traditional conservative standing athwart the world yelling stop. That's not a, an appealing message. That's not an exciting and hopeful message. And again, you know, returning to Donald Trump, he had an exciting and hopeful message. Uh, make America great again. I know how offensive that is to the leftists in, in the world, but it's that messaging that that propelled him to his win in 2016. And, that, Absolutely. you know, th- th- this opens up a, a huge can of worms. How, how can the conservative movement, the Republican Party, present their ideas without saying, oh, that's wrong. Oh, the, you know, the, the liberals are wrong. They are quite good at screwing up fantastic opportunities for this kind of stuff. So anyway. Agreed. And, you know, you know, cir- you know kind of circling back again to, to people like uh, Riley Gaines and, you know, look at look at people like, as you say, Naomi Wolf and, and even like Matt Taibbi, uh, Glenn Greenwald. And most recently, I just saw that RFK Jr. has decided to throw his hat into the ring in the Democratic Party to challenge Biden. And you know something? In a billion years, I probably wouldn't vote for RFK Jr. because but I, you know, something. I, if, sure, if, I, I, if I showed you all of his writing about the COVID vaccine over the last three years, and I exactly. and I crossed off Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you would be yelling from the rooftops, "Hey, folks, listen to this guy. He knows exactly what's going on." But because he is, his, he's RFK Jr., the Purity Brigade among the conservatives is willing to say, "Oh, no, 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 we can't listen to him because you know in 19." In 1993, he said this. Well, you know, screw that. We need friends wherever we can find them. And he's one of them. Right. And you know something? I don't care what Robert Kennedy, RFK Jr. said in 1993, because you know something? I could sit down with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and he would have me on if he had a show. And if I have him on this show, he'd say, you know something, JJ? Uh, And you know something, CBD? I disagree with you on this, but, uh, you know, but, but he, he recognizes our humanity and I recognize his humanity. He recognizes the fact that we have our opinions and they're just as valid. If he may disagree with them, they're just as valid as his. And the fact is on the crucial issue, which really is what was COVID, which was a giant issue, but, but the first amendment and recognizing the fact that people have differing viewpoints and you have to listen to them and, and let the chips fall where they may, where they may. That is why I really, really respect and like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Matt Taibbi, who years ago, I, I thought he was, a, you know, I hated him because he was a left wing knucklehead. But he's yeah. he's proven himself right. When Matt Taibbi was testifying with uh, with the Twitter files, guess what was happening? The IRS was sick on him. They had IRS agents going to his door. So, you know, something. If that's the case, then I want this guy in my corner. And, and thank God he and all those others are in our corner because we can use all the help we can. And this goes out, unfortunately, to some of the commenters at, at, at the Cut Jib and Ace who, you know, just, they have this thing that's like it's a bugaboo. Oh, we can't trust them because they were leftists. And I'm going, well, God dang it. You know, something Donald Trump was a New York liberal for years and years and years. And guess what? You voted for him con gusto. And you know something? I'm not necessarily equating the fact that maybe Taibbi or, or Riley Gaines or whoever is going to have this political conversion like perhaps Donald Trump did, but at least they see the world as as it is and not as they sort of think it is or they want it to be. 
And that's what made Donald Trump so appealing. He said, what's going on in America is crazy, and I'm running to oppose it. And the same thing with Riley Gaines and the same thing with Taibbi and the same thing with Greenwald and Wolf. What's going on with these particular issues and, and other things is crazy, and I can't go along with it. Bingo. Well said. I, I might have mentioned this in the last podcast, but I had a, a conversation recently with a, a, a new friend, and uh, we were at odds politically. And it's clear that he is on the other side of the line on most topics. And yet we had a very civil conversation about uh, a wide range of topics, one of which was the Second Amendment. And he and I disagreed 100 percent on the meaning of the Second Amendment and how it should be administered going forward. And yet we were able to sit and have a cocktail and actually dinner and, and enjoy ourselves immensely because the underlying assumption on both of our parts was that the person across the table was a human being, as you just pointed out. And the left has been superb at demonizing and dehumanizing those on the right. And I think that until we can combat that sort of underhanded and sleazy and effective method of political discourse, we are always going to be playing catch up. But well, and that, yeah, and no. that speaks back to the, speaks to the point I made before, and that is that, you know, the messaging is so, so important. It has to be positive. It has to look to the future. This is what we can do for you. And this is why your life is going to be better in five years or 10 years or one year if you vote for us. Unfortunately, the, you know, you, you talk about messaging and you talk about the demonization. The problem is that the demonization that the left is doing is causing individuals like this transsexual terrorist to, to shoot up, to shoot up a, a Christian school, uh, to cause Molotov cocktails to be tossed at uh, pro, you know, was it uh, pregnancy crisis centers and so on and so forth to cause all of this havoc. And, and when you demon, there's the problem is that there is no debate. There is no discourse. It is that, you know, we consider the, the left and, well, traditionally people would consider the left as just very, very wrong, but they consider us evil. And when you consider something evil, there is no political discourse. There is no equivalent. It is uh, by every means necessary, including violence, to, to, to snuff us out. So my fear is that we're beyond the point of just mere elections and, and these sort of you know, normal political processes to sort of attract people. But, you know, for the time being, I guess that's really that, that is sort of where we are. We're sort of in this netherworld of of society where certain things go forward, as I've said, like elections, whether you think that they're rigged or not, which I think they are in many cases, legislative processes in Congress and so on and so forth. Yet at the same token, Molotov cocktails are being hurled. Uh, people are being shot up even a few years ago. Was it Steve Scalise and the, and the GOP ball team were, were mowed down by a James Hodgkinson, a, a Bernie bro and someone who was linked to Dick Durbin, who still has yet to answer for his relationship with this shooter and so on and so forth. So we are... Uh, yeah, we got problems, and especially from the top. When when Joe Biden made that that hideous speech in front of Independence Hall with the Lenny Riefenstahl lighting, basically condemning Republicans as a threat to the republic, to the democracy, where's the discourse? I mean, this is again, I've had this thing. What if if, if Donald Trump or even if Ron DeSantis, whoever it is, you know, gets the nomination? What is the uh, the presidential debate going to be even look like? Is is Joe Biden or whoever the vegetable du jour is, uh, uh, John Fetterman, or whoever going to crawl, crawl, go across the stage and shake hands with him? I mean, what is that going to even? How is that even possible? It's it's uh, already, I would say it's a farce, but it's deadly serious. It is deadly serious. Uh, listen, Biden Fetterman, twenty twenty four. That's that's my <laughs> that's my dream ticket. I think it'll be fantastic. <laughs>
Exactly. Broccoli and sprouts. There you go. Anyway, we are back here discussing uh, the, the dissolution of society and, and everything from the walls caving in around us. Uh, CPD, you had, a, you had an interesting uh, article or something that's about a, an abortion pill that is now causing quite a stir. That, uh, yeah, it's, I'm not sure that it's going to cause quite a stir because it's probably going to be ignored by the mainstream press. But a federal judge in Texas suspended the FDA's approval of an abortion pill that is used quite a bit. I think it's close to 50% of abortions are done with medication, and this is one of the medications that they use. And the the case was that the FDA approved it incorrectly. He's given the government seven days to to appeal his ruling. But as much as I am against abortion, and I think that as many people feel, uh, life begins at conception. This is a highly charged political issue, and I think that if the left plays this correctly and draws it out into the 2024 election uh, season, they can use it to re-energize those, remember the those squishy Republican, the suburban Republican voters who don't really care that much about anything, but when you scare them about abortion, they'll vote Democrat. We saw it in 2022. They target specific people for their votes. And this is one of these issues that can be a very, very dangerous thing for the Republican Party. And again, should we give in on a, on abortion to save the republic? Because if we lose in 2024, I, I despair for America. But again, this is life. These are innocents. So it's a nasty little situation. And it's I think we should continue to watch it. Here's the thing. It's just and as we said in the last segments about messaging and talking about things, as opposed to just letting the, the, the left run roughshod over us with the, with these issues. And well, it also speaks to the intelligence of suburban women who just, you know, oh, my God, my abortions, as we say on, on the blog. And, and nothing else matters. I mean, here in Wisconsin, we just elected this crackpot leftist, uh, Janet uh, Prostitutkovich or whatever the heck her name is. And here's a woman who, you know, radical on abortion, will protect abortion because supposedly her opponent, Dan Kelly, was like, no abortions, no exceptions, no nothing. And the irony, of course, is that this woman releases uh, rapists with with wrist slaps to be to, to free to uh, to prey on women all over the all over the dairy state. But at least you have your abortion. So so stop complaining. But the issue is, you know, and, and as, as we said just a little while ago, it hits close to home for me because personally, I had my cousin many years ago had a, a premature child. And the, the kid, I think, was born maybe after I want to say 20 weeks frail as all, I mean, the, the thing was the, the size of, a, you know, a, a mouse almost, but it was fully formed. It was very weak and they did everything they could to keep this child alive in an incubator. And the poor thing lasted maybe a month and she died and they gave her, a, you know, they gave her a, a, Jew, a Jewish funeral and a tombstone. So, I mean, you know, look, I'm willing to compromise on this. I'm willing to say just to, to bury this, uh, no pun intended, to bury this issue once and for all and say, look, 
you cannot have an abortion no matter what after like 21 weeks or 22 weeks. And please, dear Lord, if you if you have an abortion and the child survives the abortion, you can't just throw it in a bucket and leave it in a closet to die. But the problem is the left will not budge on this. They are like abortion almost to the point of, you know, when, when a woman's water is breaking and their, and their vulva dilates, they want to bash the thing on the head with a hammer and kill it because they're, they're, they're animals and they're, they're evil. I mean, they don't even want to compromise on that. So, uh, yes, it's one thing for us and, you know, the, the real, very devout people to dig in and say no abortion on, under any circumstances. But and I hate to say it, it, it is political suicide. You know, we can't. But the problem is the left knows this is a huge weapon and they won't they will not uh, let go of it. So I think we have to figure out a way to message that and to use that as in sort of a political jujitsu against them. It's like, okay, you want abortion, but abortion at what point? To the point where, as I said, the the kid is being born and you want to kill it. And if it survives an abortion, that's the thing is to hold hold their feet to the fire on on just, okay, abortion until what point? Maybe that's the ticket. But the absolutists, even on our side, I think as sad as it is, and and, and it is speaks to the how, how low we have sunk as a society, how we value human life. I think for political expediency, we may just have to go that route. Unfortunately, I think you're correct. But as I said, do we give in on abortion to save the republic or do we stand on our principles and perhaps lose the republic because of the increasingly dangerous votes that the that the Democrat Party is able to manipulate? And uh, well, you could, there, there yeah, is you no, could, there is no answer. There is no good answer. No, you could say the republic is dying as it is with the crap that's going on with Donald Trump, with the election shenanigans and all sorts of things where, I mean, abortion is just sort of the icing on the cake, if you will. But, you know, there's not there there are no good good answers going forward. But the, the one thing I do agree with and I really think is that you need better messaging. You need much better intelligent messaging on the issue, not just saying what it is that, that bothers you as a, as a Christian, as a, as a, as a whatever, but saying, look, this is what the left is doing. It's not just about a protecting a woman's right to abortion. You're protecting their right to, for infanticide at every level. Is that what you really want suburban women? Or is that not what you want? So there you go. If I you can do that. Yeah. You, you mentioned the, that, that particularly vile segment of the pro-abortion ranks in the United States, that they not only support abortion on demand through the ninth month, they celebrate it. And I find that to be so unbelievably vile and evil. And I am stunned every time I see that and I don't see a shocked reaction from pretty much the rest of the world. And I think that speaks to the coarsening of our society that has been caused by abortion, by the idea that we can kill pre-born children pretty much up to their birth. And that, well, see, I'm, I'm in a loop right now. I just don't know what to do. And, well, uh, well we, well, the we, thing we is, still it, see. Yeah, even in Europe, believe it or not, I think in, in, in countries where you, you would least expect the, there would be any restrictions on abortion, there are actually some like quite quite a few major restrictions, like even in places like I believe France and Italy and 
and Spain and so on and so forth, where, you know, the got Western society is all but, but the, disappeared off the map. Of course, many of these countries like Belgium and Switzerland are in favor of euthanasia. So right, you get it coming or going, folks, either way. But but dang, it's uh, it, I mean, if the French have have limits on abortion, then surely, surely we can here. But but the problem is, is the left is using this as a as a weapon because we can't we cannot appropriately or, or or effectively answer answer them so they've now gone so whole hog and down the course of uh, of baby killing really that and we have no response to it i i find that hard to believe how is it that you could say if a child survives you know an abortion and it is fully formed and it is functioning let the thing live and put it up for adoption and the answer is no we won't do that and that's just if we cannot formulate a, a coherent and a powerful response to that to be used as a weapon against and to against the left and to blunt their attacks on us and poaching our voters, so to speak, then, you know, we ain't worth it. It ain't, you know, we're useless as a party. Well, did you, did you see uh, Rona Romney's oh, uh, comments yes. about, yeah, about how we should be doing such and such? <laughs> oh, yes. Like, I'm sorry. What is her maiden name? I mean, what is her, her married name? Rom- Romney McDaniel. McDaniel, that's it. Rona McDaniel, because she hides hides from the the name Romney. Um, <laughs> she's the damned head of the Republican Party, and she's saying we should. That's her one job, doing what we should be doing to win elections, and she she has failed. She has ignored her responsibilities, and yet there she is. She is the face of Republican failure in America. She is perfect right. for it. And well, I'm the still irony, curious yeah, about Donald Trump supporting her. For, yeah, for I was just going to I was just going to say that I said I just cannot understand how he could possibly have 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 supported this woman. It was a completely I, mean, I don't I don't get it. But oh, boy, there you go. Anyway, I think we're about the uh, the end of the show, CBD, uh, unless you have any uh, salient or cromulent points that we know. I so. haven't had a salient or cromulent point uh, all day. <laughs> so uh, I think that uh, we're going to cut this one short so that I don't keep babbling like a knucklehead. No, your 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 babbling is better than the. Uh, please, I I see that idiot Joe Scarborough on this. Uh, I sometimes have to watch him. I can't can't get into it. But God Almighty, it's like uh, your your stuttering is like it's like listening to Lawrence Olivier, you know, you know, doing a soliloquy from Shakespeare compared to that idiot. But in any event, you have been listening, folks, to the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks Radio Network, the podcast. JJ Sefton here, along with my good friend CBD. Once again, thank you all for hitting our tip jar and please do continue to support us so we can bring you this kind of quality programming <laughs> into the into the future of, of course that's uh, with the garland archipelago and being arrested at the moment notwithstanding so for cbd it's jj sefton we will see you on the next one folks and thanks again thanks for listening folks <laughs>